We're recovering from last week's jobs report, but we've got plenty to look ahead to this week. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This here is David Hansen. David, the Lego movie. Mm -hmm. The Lego movie killed it. Critical acclaim, big money at the box office. My question for you is, if any toy from your childhood could be turned into a movie, what would it be? A yo-yo. Yo-yo. Yo-yo is an underrated toy. I mean, you can do a lot with a yo-yo. <laughs> did you play with them? I did. Actually, more when I was older, and I actually figured out how it worked. I a didn't sleeper? have the patience for it when I was Rock the cradle? It's Mostly it was like, for, for me, it was like a, a weapon. Yeah. Swing it around. It's like a, a good toy. Like or something. I, I would choose Simon. Did you ever play okay. Simon? That, that I wasn't smart enough. I, I, feel, I feel like... That could be a, a horror movie around it exploding if you didn't or get it. Or bop it, right. like an underground Japanese bop it tournament. That could be interesting. There you go. All right, getting to the headlines. We, uh, we're going to take a look ahead to this coming week since we didn't get a chance to do that on Friday. Uh, let's take a look at the... Do we actually have headlines? Is it? We don't have headlines. We don't have headlines. Uh, before we start then, there was a headline from Friday that we didn't get a chance to talk about. It was the jobs report. It was, we'll call it disappointing. Uh, jo- the, the jobs numbers, the payroll numbers were below expectations. This was second month in a row that, uh, that we really didn't see what we were hoping for on the jobs front. I'm willing to chalk it up to, to partly the bad weather, or at least I wanted to. What was interesting, though, is that construction jobs actually uh, did pretty well. Construction employment actually did pretty well in January, which was surprising. One thing that jumped out at me over the past two months is that healthcare jobs remained essentially unchanged, which is surprising. Um, but maybe that has a little something to do with the Affordable Care Act implementing that, hospitals and other healthcare providers being a little bit uh, cautious about hiring new people right now. Uh, the December the December jobs number was not revised very much. We when when the jobs report comes out, we see revisions to past months. Uh, about 1,000 extra jobs in December, but that only brings it to 75,000. But for November, another 34,000 jobs tacked on to November's tally. So maybe a, That's a big difference. 1,000 one month, 30,000. Well, the, there's only 75,000 jobs total even after the revision for December. Right. But after the revision, I think November's total was 274,000. So uh, quite a difference there, too. Maybe... Everybody just hired in November, and now they're like, eh, it's holidays, come on. We're good for now. We're good for now. Hopefully, February brings a little bit better. Okay, looking ahead, what do you got? Got CYS Investments reporting this week. This is a mortgage REIT, and like American Capital Agency that we saw report, I think it was last week, Mm -hmm. right? This is a pure agency. We'll come back and cover that tomorrow, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a pure uh, agency m- mortgage rate, uh, traded at the deepest discount of, of Annaly, American Capital Agency, and CYS over the past quarter. So this was hit the hardest. So it'll be interesting to see what is their strategy going forward. We've seen what American Capital Agencies is, being defensive. And the one thing we did not note when we talked about American Capital Agency last week was the fact that they're out buying common stock of other mortgage rates. That was a big headline that I neglected to mention. It was kind of a footnote on one of the slides down there that they're increasing their exposure to other mortgage rates, which is very interesting. We haven't seen anyone else do this. Cashing um, in on others' woes. Very, very interesting. And remember, if, if you remember that I said that they sold some of their holdings 
in the quarter, and I wasn't sure why. What was the color behind that? Mm-hmm. The reason was because they sold some holdings to go out and buy common shares of other mortgage REITs. So essentially keeping their leverage the same, but reducing their actual holdings of securities and upping it to uh, other things. And the reason they did that, they said, hey, we see all these mortgage REITs trading at huge discounts to book, 20% discounts. We might as well hold those as opposed to holding the portfolios. Uh, so maybe CYS was one of those companies that American Capital Agency went out and bought. It'll be interesting to see if CYS does anything similar, but maybe. Why not just buy shares of their own, buy back shares of their own? Well, they did that too. I don't know. I guess they wanted to... They're was... not sure they're the best managed mortgage reasons. There, there were some questions on the call in terms of why are you doing this when you don't really know the strategy of an, of an Annaly if they bought that or a CYS? Exactly. How can you be comfortable with what, what they're doing? What was the answer to that? They said, well, we, we just think the discount and the risk reward is appropriate for what you're getting right now. Uh, so yeah, very interesting. There. We got a question on Twitter from that, so that'll be that answers that question. Well. I, I can already see what your next one is, and that's this is something that I want to talk about as well. So go ahead. Uh, you've got Mark Hale on your list. The report after the, after the bell today, right? I think it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, not really looking at the investment portfolio w- w- with Tom Gaynor there. I know that's what we always talk about, how they have great investors. I'm more interested in just the comments around the culture and how the Altera acquisition, which they made in 2012, is integrating. I mm-hmm. mean, this was a huge acquisition, and they're there are legitimate concerns of bringing an operation that big into Markel and having everything just warm and fuzzy. Uh, I mean, the culture of Markel is really what you're buying into as a long-term shareholder. So you want to see them in- integrate the Altera culture and the Markel culture and be successful with that. So I'm more interested in just the comments on the call in terms of how is that going as opposed to what's the investment portfolio doing. Yeah, so I'm going to be... I, I always take a scan for anything drastic that's changing that would change my investment thesis. I, I generally don't expect to find that, particularly for uh, a steady-as-she-goes company like Markel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be interested to hear the general commentary around the the insurance market. Uh, one of the one of the big things that we've seen in the insurance market is that primary insurance, the rates have generally been firming up so so that companies are able to pass on price increases, get better pricing on the insurance that they're writing. However, in the reinsurance market, still a lot of capital sloshing around there and, uh, and pricing has been a little bit, a little bit softer and, and, and tougher to raise prices. Now that Markel has the big exposure to the reinsurance market through Altera, I expect that we'll hear some commentary on both sides of the coin from that. Uh, in terms of, of looking ahead elsewhere, we've got retail sales numbers coming. This is uh, on the economic front, retail sales com- numbers coming in on Thursday. Uh, the expectation is a slight dip in growth, negative 0.2%. Uh, that was after 0.2% on the positive side, uh, the previous report. And then we've got on Friday capacity utilization numbers, which sounds a little wonky. We've got a chart here showing historical capacity utilization. Basically, What does that mean? Basically, it shows the extent to which, uh, an easy way to describe it, the extent to which manufacturers and companies are using the, the capital, using the resources that they have available. When that starts to get up higher, so you can see around 85% up towards 90%, that's where you can start pushing out the, uh, inf- to, to inflation, mm-hmm. to, um, to consumer price increases, because as uh, capacity is taken up, and more money is chasing uh, uh, fewer goods, uh, as a lack of a better way to put it. That's simple economics. Mm-hmm. You start to see inflation. So we're going to be want- wanting to watch that going forward 
as we have the continued concerns around the Fed's monetary policy and its uh, potential to create inflation, as uh, we could see from that chart. Capacity utilization. We're not really... Bringing the heat on Monday. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And then then earnings, you mentioned Markel already. They they report after the bell today. Also after the bell today, American uh, American Capital, they're the, the... the manager. Yeah, they're the manager of American Capital Agency and American Capital Mortgage, also a sort of a private equity firm yep. uh, in, in and of themselves. Tomorrow we got C- CYS, as you mentioned. Martian McLennan, the insurance broker, also reports tomorrow. Uh, Willis is another insurance broker. They report tomorrow as well. Also Washington Mutual on the – I'm sorry, not Washington Mutual. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was like, coming Union. back, coming back yeah. from the dead. That would, that would be a strange report. <laughs> Western Union is what I meant there. Uh, Wednesday, we've got I, the ING uh, US unit mm-hmm. reporting. They recently were, were spun out from ING, now a separately traded company on the US exchanges. Uh, MetLife, Morningstar, and one of your favorites, Zillow, mm-hmm. also on Wednesday there. We'll be talking more about that. Uh, Ellie May on Thursday, Fairfax Financial, which is an interesting uh, sort of insurance investing hybrid conglomerate, right. similar to a Markel or Berkshire in some ways. Up in Canada. Up in Canada. And then we've got uh, Realty Income uh, also reporting on Thursday. Interesting. Ellie May will be an interesting one to watch. This is a company that provides software to mortgage lenders, uh, small community banks. And there's been some concern in terms of how much growth is there in this industry, um, especially with the mortgage industry slowing down a little bit? There have been some talks about them potentially being a buyout candidate, mm-hmm. maybe putting themselves on the block. So that would be an interesting one to tune into. I think we're going to obviously be talking about Zillow. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of us are actually owners of that now. It's an, it's an interesting business, a lot of potential. But that's one. So contrasting that to Markel, Markel, like I said, it's, it's one that maybe – tune in to see whether anything drastic has changed. Zillow is one you you need to watch more closely because it's still developing, because the the market is still forming around it. Mm -hmm. So you want to know what's going on and and how the the process is going there. ING US is another one that I'll probably tune into. Uh, You've got the life insurance operations here that, uh, you know, it's, it's been a source of struggle for all life insurers, low interest rate environment. Uh, not easy for for the, that group of companies, but uh, from what I've seen, from what I've looked into it, and I, I still need to look into it more. It seems like a, a pretty decent operation and an interesting business. I'm not sure yet if there's something there that really sets it apart mm. from other from other life insurers and, and makes it a business really worth owning over a long period of time. But uh, it's one I'll be tuning into this week as well. All right. Focus for the day. Interesting. We we were at a investing conference. You and I were at an investing conference. I don't know if you remember. I was, was kind of remember on Friday. Unfortunately, the investing conference was all off the record, so we can't talk about what we heard. <laughs> we we certainly can't say what we heard from whom at this investing conference. What I think we can safely talk about is what we took away from it from from a broad perspective, uh, lessons that we took away from it, and uh, and I'll uh, let me start out. And I think mine is is really so simple. And this is, I think sometimes when I go to these investing conferences and there's always kind of this rock star Lollapalooza lineup of We all can say these... who's there, right? That's not off the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could say who's there. It was Bill Ackman, Tom Gaynor from Markel, Joel Greenblatt. So some heavy hitters there. B- big names, big, mm-hmm. big names. Uh, Kyle Bass was yep. there. Um, 
so I go to, I go to these investment conferences, investing conferences, and I think sometimes that, that I'm expecting to hear something that's just going to blow my mind. It's going to be new and it's going to be different, and I'm going to be like, ah, that's what I've been missing. And now, and what I inevitably co- end up coming away with is just a back to the basics view of really good investing involves figuring out how much companies are worth and then waiting to be able to buy them right. at a price less than that true value, which is just, on the one hand, it's just so frustrating because it's just getting back to the basics. It's like I wanted to hear something new, but what, what I came away with was, yeah, it's just the, the, the good basic info that's the best. But on the other hand, it's kind of freeing as well. It's like, well, there's nothing new really coming along here. Right. So stick to this and, and keep on this. What I, what I will say is that that, that kind of simplicity there, the, the figure out how much company is worth and buy it for less than it's worth, it, it en- encompasses uh, a lot. So I think some people think, well, but what I really want to do is invest in really good businesses. And, and I think that's a great way to go about it because a great business kind of gives you more certainty towards the future, uh, lets you sleep a little bit better at night, can compound returns better over time. And so you can put at the front of your process, well, at the very beginning, I only want to look at what I deem to be good businesses. Right. But you still need to take that good business that's going to derive some of its value from being such a good business, figure out how much it's worth, pay less than that. Exactly. And <laughs> my, my main takeaway was pretty similar to that. I have written down the importance of being patient and waiting for that right price. And sometimes if we don't buy a stock for three to six months, that can seem crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to find something. I have to put my money to work. I'm going crazy. Mm -hmm. But six months in a lifetime of investing is not a long time. And if what you're seeing and what you're interested in is not at the right price, you have to have the discipline to wait Mm -hmm. and to not invest in that, even if it's not right price. You can't say, it's a great business. The price is a little ridiculous, but it'll work out in the end. It's fine. It's a really good business. So so like you... um, being patient and looking more at industry dynamics rather than quarterly earnings. I know we just talked about companies that are reporting earnings, but mm-hmm. that's not going to make or break any investing thesis with any of those companies for better or for worse. If Zillow reports terrible numbers, that doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, everyone has to sell Zillow, it's going to zero. The, the numbers might not, right? But, right. but what they, the color around the numbers. Correct. Uh, so that num- the bottom line number that they report, good or bad, it doesn't really matter to a company long term. And the industry n- dynamics in terms of where they sit how much can they grow within that market is much more important than saying, well, I think earnings are going to increase 15% over the next quarter. That's essentially meaningless when we take a long-term view of it. So in other words, we sit down, we listen to all of these great investors, and the bottom line is really just the, the, basics, the basics work, doing the basics over time. Something else that stood out to me was the, the focus on kind of the qualitative aspects of, of the business. Uh, and anyone can make an Excel model and be good at math and have a degree in applied mathematics and make a model. Mm-hmm. But you do have to take into account who is running the business. That's very important. And again, we can't talk about specifics, but time and time again, the theme of kind of the person running the company is so important. Do we need to change that person? Do we need to get a new person in there? Um, so the stuff that you can't necessarily put on a spreadsheet is still very important. And that's something we talk about, and that was reinforced as well. And... One final thing that I'll, that I'll end on, I actually, I had a chance to interview Michael Mobison uh, of Credit Suisse, mm-hmm. uh, author of a, a bunch of great books on investing, most recently, 
the success equation, right, the name of his most recent. I had a chance to sit down with him on Thursday before the conference. He actually spoke at the conference. But one of the things that, that we talked about, and later in the week, uh, Friday, we'll get some of that interview onto the show on Friday. So viewers and, and listeners definitely don't want to miss that. Um, it's pro- process versus outcome in investing. That's a big thing that Mobison has talked about over the years. And watching out for behavioral biases in your investing. So it's making sure that you... A, have a process for your investing. B, that it's a good process. And, and that's actually a tricky thing to do in investing because the, the uh, cause and effect in, a, in investing is not always perfectly linked. So, so you have Never something, perfectly linked, almost. Right, right. So you have something that you do and you have an outcome from it. And whether what you did led to that outcome, it's really hard to pick those things apart. But there are ways that you can, you can have a good process mm-hmm. in investing. So you want to make, make sure you have a good process in your investing. And as part of that... You want to make sure that you're not falling victim to a lot of the the typical behavioral biases that make us do stupid things with our money, always. All right, moving on. Next, we have mailbag. We do. Right? Uh, We have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. And the question for today is, how should investors think about stocks of private equity companies? What does a good investment look like in this sector? If book value is the key metric for banks and combined ratio for insurers, what is it for private equity? Do you think that there could be good investments given where we are in the economic cycle? I'm thinking of in terms of three to five years. And that question comes from Aspen. Thanks for the question, Aspen. David, I think you said you had some thoughts on this. I do. Uh, When you talk about private equity stocks, there are kind of two buckets where you can fall in here, and the answer is a little bit different. Uh, For the big guys like a Blackstone, or a fortress, that's different than a business development company, which is kind of a private equity company that's public, uh, a prospect capital, a Main Street. So there's a difference there in terms mm-hmm. of what their business is and how they're valued. So a company like Blackstone, as a shareholder, you're not, you don't have a claim on the assets necessarily. You have a claim on the fees that Blackstone is generating uh, by managing those the, the funds under management. So you get performance fees, you get just kind of general management fees. So that's what you're getting as a shareholder. And those then also the, because Blackstone invests some of its own money also in the companies that invest in. So those co-investments as well. But for the most part. it's a lesser part, part, yeah. Right. For the most part, you're you're banking on the management and the fees. Whereas with a prospect capital or a Main Street and a business development company, you're actually, you have claim on those assets. You are part of the company, kind of like a mortgage REIT, where you invest in the portfolio and you, as the portfolio moves, your shares will move as well. That's not necessarily the case with a big one like Blackstone. Uh, so it depends. Uh, looking at the big private equity space like a Blackstone, you could probably do a, kind of a price to assets under management, work out some sort of earnings to assets under management because you're mostly looking at the fees that are ge- being generated, mm-hmm. whereas as opposed to a BDC where they have loans out to companies, equity stakes, you're going to look more at book value and how that changes over time. Uh, so BDCs, I would look at book value. Uh, the Blackstones of the world, the Fortresses, I would look at kind of maybe uh, fees as a percent of assets under management and kind of where that can grow over time. I think it's, I think it's a lot easier with the BDCs because, like you said, it's, it's very much like investing in, in a private equity fund as right. opposed to a private equity company. So you're, you're going to want to concentrate on that NAV number, the, the equity or the assets, uh, sort of the assets under management yeah. there, which is shareholders' equity. Uh, it's kind of similar to 
talk about these mortgage REITs all the time. It's similar to that in the way that that's basically a mortgage investment fund. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're going to focus again there on, the sh- on that shareholder's equity number. When it comes to the, the, bigger, the bigger boys, the Blackstones, the KKRs, Apollo, uh, Carlisle, it gets a little bit trickier from the perspective that I totally agree with you uh, on the assets under management part of it. But you also have to look at what are the different types of funds mm-hmm. under management. So you've got the classic private equity funds, um, which are investing in companies. You've got real estate private equity funds in there. You've got he- uh, classic hedge funds in there. You've got hedge fund fund of funds in mm-hmm. there. So each, uh, each of these different asset classes for the, for the funds there are going to have a slightly different fee structure and flavor. So as you get a little bit more complicated in how you want to value them, you can look at the individual funds that they have and their, the proportion exposure they have to them and uh, adjust your valuation, your fee-based mm-hmm. valuation based on that. Uh, for asset managers in general, it's often useful to do a um, market cap as a percentage of assets under management. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's going to vary very greatly. So if you look at a BlackRock, the market cap to assets under management, are gonna be, it's going to be a very low ratio because a lot of that is indexed ETF type of investments. The other thing that you want to look out for, and, and I know this to be true for Blackstone, I'm not as familiar with, with all the other things going on at, uh, at KKR or, say, Carlisle, but Blackstone also has a, a sort of an investment banking arm that does merger and acquisition advising and that sort of thing. They also have a, fu- a fund advisory arm, so they help other funds raise money. And so this is, this is non fund-based income that they have. So you, you almost want to think about doing a sum of the parts analysis there where you break it out to, okay, so here's the, the fund business, the asset management business. Here's the investment banking business. And maybe even here, which is a pretty small thing, here's the advisory, the, the fund advisory right. business as well. So you want to think about what's going on in there and how do I value these different parts. All right. It's a little bit more complicated. Quite. All right. Uh, we have a game for today. That game is Great It. And in making the grade. Why do I always say grade it? I don't know. I think I, I think I made up the name grade it, and then you were like, oh, no, that's a terrible name, and you just changed it. I took it. So ma- making the grade. Mm-hmm. Making the grade, we have two or three scenarios. Three. Three scenarios. We're going to draw a beautiful artistic rendering of our thoughts on each scenario. I don't even know what I'm looking at here. You came up with the scenarios. This is going to be a total surprise to me. Number one scenario. We've got... Reading an earnings call instead of a 10K. Now, what would, what would you grade reading an earnings call? Just one, This is one earnings call, right? Yep. The, this is the value you derive? Is that kind of how we're it thinking is. about it? I don't even know what this grade is, but I'm giving it a hamburger as reading the earnings call, pizza reading the 10K. They're both good. If I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the pizza. I like pizza a little bit more. I'd probably read the 10K, but earnings call can give you a lot of things the 10K cannot uh, management will be a little bit more open. They're still going to be a little bit guarded in their comments, but they can be a little bit more loose in terms of how they're describing the business as opposed to the 10K. So there are some benefits of reading conference calls as opposed to the 10K. Okay. What I've got here is I've got... This is a paintbrush. That's a, I know you can see that that's a paintbrush because mm-hmm. that's obvious. We've got a paintbrush and a library. The library represents reading the 10K because that's basically... That's a big, giant store of information there. Um, within the 10K, you're going to get all kinds of nitty-gritty details about the company. Uh, in terms of going through a 10K, just to run down the parts that I typically tend to look at, uh, the business section, very important. Risk factors, very important. Management discussion uh, and analysis, very important. And obviously, take a look at the financial sections. 
there's a lot of other important stuff there, but if you want to kind of prioritize what you're looking at, those are some sections. Now, the paintbrush, the conference call, that gives you some more color around what management's thinking, what management's seeing, mm-hmm. um, and, and put some context to the numbers. Right. I think they're both important, but in different ways. Second scenario. Second go. scenario. <laughs> We've got the opportunity in equity REITs right now. So equity REITs have taken a dive in, uh, in recent times. All right, I got a little, little bit of a scale here, and I got no-brainer on this axis and stay away on that one. And it's leaning more towards the no-brainer, not all the way there yet, but like you said, taking a dive. The space does look a lot more attractive, obviously a lot cheaper than it was a couple months ago. I think there are still some good companies in here in niche areas where they can still grow uh, funds from operations at, at a pretty healthy clip, and you're still getting a solid dividend there. So I think you can get some some share price appreciation in some of these spaces and a good dividend. So it's becoming more attractive to me. All right. What do you got? I have got a... B? B question mark. It's a B question mark. Not a B plus, not a B minus. It's a B question mark. And the reason that I put it that way is I have, I, I have been uh, not good about doing my homework on equity REITs. I don't know as much as I should about equity REITs. What I do know is that there are some very well-run companies out there that the stocks of the equity REITs have just been hammered uh, over the past mm-hmm. six, six to nine months. Uh, so I think there probably is some opportunity there. I just wouldn't exactly know where, it, it, where specifically it is right. right now. The other thing that I'll mention as far as equity REITs go, financing for companies, uh, for, for uh, commercial real estate, it's good and getting more competitive it's as the banks look for more loans. Right. Final scenario. Final scenario. We've got the figure skating outfits in the Olympics. This is my grade right here. That is a just shocked face. Can't even blink. There's some interesting stuff out there. The male shirts have maybe gone a little bit far this year. So I'm giving it a shocked face. What do you got? I... <laughs> I, I've come to the realization, oh my God, I've come to the realization that I can't draw a hand. I can, that certainly a, can't that draw a thumb. <laughs> that is a thumb. That's a thumbs up. That's an awful drawing. But it's a thumbs up because those outfits are just spectacular. I have no other words for it. Uh, amazing, maybe, would, would work in there too. All right. All right, finishing off on the Twitter sphere, David, what is our tweet for today? Tweet is from Elliot Turner at Elliot Turn. Looks like the modern-day bank run in Bitcoin is gaining steam. And we have a chart of Bitcoin here, courtesy of blockchain. And for those of you watching, you can see Bitcoin, according to their calculations, taking quite a dive over the last 24 hours or so. Mt. Gox, one of the biggest exchanges, is suspending withdrawals of Bitcoin right now. Uh, They say there's a glitch in the system. They're not telling people too much about it in terms of what the glitch is in their system. Um, there's some thought that this is just a Mountain Gox problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is a company, this is an exchange that's been under some scrutiny from kind of the Bitcoin community saying that, yes, maybe not the most transparent exchange, maybe there are better options out there. Uh, so with, suspending withdrawals, that's not going to be a good thing for value. So according to Mount Gox, the value is plummeting quite significantly right now down to around 500, 600 bucks. What's interesting is that when you and I bought a little bit of Bitcoin a while back. The first place we looked was Mt. Gox, mm-hmm. and there was this, you have to hook up your bank account to here to, 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 make, with, uh, to make deposits and mm-hmm. withdrawals, and my reaction was, yeah, I don't think so. So looking at what's going on there today, I'm kind of glad that I don't have any piece of that. 
yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how it how it shakes out because when you see we see Bitcoin going up, it's kind of everyone's gonna it's just a virtuous cycle. Everyone's gonna oh, it keeps going up, keeps going up. Is the same thing gonna be true on? The downside are people going to say, yeah, I got to get out, I got to get out. So. Look at what happened after Silk Road. After Silk Road, the, the price went back up. I, I, I think it's really a, bit, a big picture thing here about whether it works out or not, not these, uh, not, not these interim issues and, and problems with the, with the systems. Um, I, I think there's a lot that still needs to be worked out with Bitcoin, but the success or failure, it's going to happen over the next few years, not really uh, months or so. All right. All right, that's the show for today. We are on Twitter at TMF Financials. We're also on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.